It's turned all the way up. I'm, there it goes. You never know with these things. Some days they work and some days they don't. Uh, we've got to replace them one of these days. Our gospel lesson is from Luke, the 15th chapter. And usually when you hear Luke, the 15th chapter, you begin to think of the parable of the prodigal son. But this is the stories that precede that. Tax collectors and sinners were crowding around to listen to Jesus. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of Moses started grumbling, this man is friendly with sinners and he even eats with them. Then Jesus told them this story. If you had a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will you do? Won't you leave the ninety-nine in the field and look for the lost sheep until you find it? And when you find it, you will be glad and you will put it on your shoulder and you will carry it home. Then you will call your friends and your neighbors and say, let's celebrate. I found my lost sheep. Jesus said, in the same way, there is more happiness in heaven because one sinner turns to God than over 99 good people who don't need to. Jesus told the people another story. What will a woman do if she has ten silver coins and loses one of them? Won't she light a lamp and sweep the floor and look carefully until she finds it? Then she will call her friends and her neighbors and say, let's celebrate. I found the coin that I lost. Jesus said, in the same way, God's angels are happy even when one person turns to Him. This is the Word of the Lord. I grew up loving to read. It was just something my parents did. And sometime in the late 50s or maybe it was in the 60s, I'm not exactly sure when, my mother, who raising four kids, didn't have that much time to read, started buying Reader's Digest condensed books. Anybody remember those? Okay. So I ended up cutting my teeth on, well, they weren't exactly cliff notes, but shortened versions of adult novels. And one of the ones I remember was one with a title that was The Ninety and Nine. And the actual opening uh, verses or opening sentences picked up the old hymn that goes with this particular text. There were ninety and nine that safely lay in the shelter of the fold, but one was out on the hills away far from the gates of gold. I won't sing a few bars for you. I looked it up on the Internet and it's really hard to sing. What's interesting, of course, is this, and you'll understand why as a boy I thought this was interesting, this was not a religious story. This was a story about an LST, a landing ship tank, in the Mediterranean during World War II. And what it was really about was about all the different missions they did and the refugee work they did. And the reason they called it the 90 and 9 is it had 90 men and 9 officers. Hence the 90 and 9. Well, as I remember reading the story, and I have to say it's been a long time ago, it really was about courage under fire, 99 men, and they were all men in those days, struggling to perform acts of mercy and sacrificing themselves for somebody else. And that's not a bad recreation in some ways of the parables that Jesus tells. 
Many find this ability to find something lost and respond to it. Children love the game called hide-and-go-seek. They play it. But lots of adults have their version too. Have any of you read about the game called geocaching? Well, you take a box or you take a bundle or you take something and you put it someplace and then you go on the Internet and you post clues. And people can look and they go find a clue here and you use your GPS. And you find a clue and then you go to the next place and find another clue. And it's usually nothing really valuable. Although I think I did hear about somebody who buried a bunch of money out in the desert that people were trying to find. But anyway, we love this idea of finding things that are lost. There's a new commercial on TV, at least it's new to me, and it um, happens to be selling Chevy trucks. But it's the old rancher who's lost a calf, and he goes out to find it. And he's got the ability because he's got plenty of gas. Go figure. Jesus loves this analogy of sheep and shepherds, of lost things like coins that get found. And I think it's an imagery that fits for us too. As He often does, Jesus takes what is common everyday experience for the people around Him and He baptizes it with a meaning that's newer and deeper. Sheep are not just valuable commodities at least in his day, they are symbols of wealth in a pastoral economy. And shepherds are not only the overseers of sheep, but they're their protectors. Anybody who can remember back to the Old Testament to David understands that the shepherd is expected to not only oversee the sheep, but to protect the sheep against wild animals and thieves and bad weather, and if necessary, even discipline the sheep. And if one wanders off, the shepherd's got to go find it. It's not, well, okay, I lost one, that's okay. Uh-uh. You've got to go find it. Maybe the lost coin makes a little more sense to us, since most of us don't know anything about sheep. But who today would really turn their house upside down to find a lost coin? If it's a quarter, you won't. But I guess it sort of depends on what it was, doesn't it? If you're one of those people who collect gold coins, I bet you would turn the house upside down to find it. Went on the internet this morning as I was ready to print this because I wanted this to be as fresh as it could be. A South African uh, cougaran in a one ounce gold coin is worth $1,436.25. You'd turn the house upside down for that, wouldn't you? On the other hand, we'd probably put it in a safety deposit box so maybe it wouldn't get lost in the first place. But maybe. So the parable may not register with us until we begin to realize that sheep are valuable. The coin is valuable. It represents a drachma. It's a day's wage for the average person. As for sheep, they're just not allowed to get lost. The shepherd will risk literally everything to find and bring home the sheep. And it is so important that he can prove that he's done his job that even if he finds the sheep dead, he's supposed to bring the carcass back. Or if he can't bring the carcass, he's supposed to skin it out and bring the fleece back to prove that he found it. 
That's pretty, that's pretty serious. And Jesus appealed to this simple fact that any shepherd worth his name will leave the 99 and go find the one that's lost. Anybody who's lost the valuable coin will try to find it. And what Jesus says is, is that's the way God behaves with you and me. George Buttrick was a famous biblical scholar, and he talks about meeting a farmer walking down a country lane. This was in Great Britain. And the farmer explains he's on an errand. He said, well, I've got a stray. And Buttrick says, how do sheep get lost? And the farmer says, well, they just nibble themselves lost. They keep their heads down and they wander from one green patch to another green patch. And if they find a hole in the fence, they'll just nibble their way right through it. And they never find their way home again unless somebody helps. And Buttrick answered, sounds just like people. And that's really what Jesus meant in this parable about lost sheep and lost coins. Lost tells us something about the tragedy of human life. Jesus uses that word lost to describe us. And somehow it also carries a, a note or a connotation of compassion. For in the midst of our lostness, which is primarily our own doing, there is this searching God for us. One of the great fears we're told of children is getting lost. And if you can remember back to your childhood and never remember a time when you were lost, you know what a terrifying feeling that can be. And, and the truth is, people get lost in the United States with all our highway systems and as much as this country is, quote, civilized, lots of people, people get lost all the time. You go out for a hike and you go into a wilderness area and you take the wrong turn on a trail or you turn an ankle or you break a leg and somebody has to find you or you're there. And so we say, well, we'll take a cell phone, which is a great idea, except cell phones don't always have reception down in some of those places. So people get lost all the time in deserts, in the mountains, at sea. Lostness for Jesus seems to mean some sort of a separation from God. But Jesus is way more liberal with the term than we are, for He applies it to everybody. It's not just the worst of us. It's all of us. Who has not been like the sheep and just sort of nibble themselves into the state of being lost? If the fear of being lost is a universal fear, it's also a universal reality. And Jesus is not terribly, terribly interested in the cause. See, I think there is a sense in which even people of profound faith, folks like you and me, can experience that being lost. Too often we see this text as just being a conversion text. You know, the person who never knew God uh, finds God or God finds them and they're converted and they become Christians. And you can surely use it that way. But I think it means more than that. I think people are often lost. They're out of sync with God in this moment. 
They feel that sense of separation. They don't feel like they're in the best place they ought to be right now. Haven't you felt like that? I sure have. There's a real sense, of course, that this conversion interpretation is important for us because certainly there's a real sense in which the world as we know it is lost and oftentimes we're lost within the world. Something has happened and we're separated from God. And maybe it's easier for us to understand how that applies to the world. The truth is the world does not know and trust God in Christ as we do. For the most part, nobody even knows where they are going except perhaps in their own five-year plan. Humankind can't even control our own technology. Science gives us so much. And the truth is, if the accords with Syria fall down and they don't turn over their stockpiles of weapons, we don't have a clue what we're going to do if they use them again. Nobody's got a clue. We think we do. Don't. And if we do, it may not make one whit of difference. We love our computers, our cell phones, our tablets. And yet, according to what we're hearing of late, Big Brother's listening. And we don't know what to do about that either. We're not even sure we're supposed to care. If we can't control the technology around how do we think we control ourselves in this world? The world may argue with us about our Christian belief in Christ and in God, but few would argue that the world really does wander around lost. Many people may be unwilling to face up to the reality of their situation, but if they are alone in the dark of the night, they still feel haunted that life is not exactly what it's supposed to be. When I think about this idea of being lost, I have to confess to you, I was lost a month ago. Not in the great profound sense. I was spending too much time in my head. I never denied faith because I never felt like I'd lost faith. I didn't commit some heinous sin that required this great turning and coming back. I just drifted off from the path of wholeness. You been there? See, we've all been there. We know what that feels like. Too often we know we've missed the best that God intended for us. And like the sheep in the parable or the coin, we got lost. We wandered away. But what is most interesting in Jesus' parables, of course, is that it is the owner of the coin, it is the shepherd of the sheep who feels the greatest loss when we wander away. It is the one who owns us, who suffers most, who will risk anything to find a way to return us or bring us for the first time to where we're supposed to be. It's been said that one of the great distinguishing marks of Christianity that separates it from all the other religions of the world is that Christianity is really not the story of 
human beings search for God. It's the story of God searching for us. And that really does make all the difference. God's continual search to find and bring back. And that's the heart and the soul of this parable. Jesus says that if the shepherd will spend that much time looking for one lousy sheep, if a woman will spend that much time looking for one coin, what do you think God's going to do? Try to find you. Now, maybe we can appreciate this best if we think about where we've seen it in other tragic human circumstances, what God might have done. I suppose God could have acted like the stern old father we read about in the stories. He says, the wayward son or daughter is gone. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I have no more children. I suppose God could have done that. That's what the scribes and Pharisees really wanted Jesus to do, you understand. Jesus says there's more joy in heaven when a sinner repents, but that's not the way they interpreted the law. The way they interpreted the law was that there was more joy in heaven when the sinner got obliterated. So Jesus came to change that idea. Or if that seems a little bit too harsh, maybe God could have said, okay, I want you back, but I'm going to wait for you to take the initiative. If God waited for me, I'd never get there. How about you? No. God says, I'll go and search myself for you. Search for the lost to bring it home. The 99 sheep will take care of themselves for the moment. It's the one that becomes important. God will do whatever is necessary, go wherever He needs to be, including a cross to restore human beings to a rightful place. Jesus says that when the items are found, there is great rejoicing in heaven because the lost soul, the lost one, has somehow been restored. It's always a joy to find something you've lost even if it didn't matter. Even if it was something that in the greater scheme of things really wasn't that important. I'm a perpetual loser. I lay keys down and can't remember where I put them or uh, move things around. I'm, I'm also notorious about leaving a wallet someplace and I have to figure out where I left it and go back and find it. Uh, it would be devastating on most days if I ever got pulled over by the police because I won't have a driver's license. It's in the office or it's at home. But where in the office or at home is a whole other question. The scribes and the Pharisees fuss at Jesus and he tells the parables why. Because he was eating and drinking with sinners. How dare he eat with those rotten, no good people. I don't know about y'all, but my mother used to use the phrase, birds of a feather flock together. You heard that one before? If you lay down with dogs, you'll get fleas. Yeah, there's others. You're known for the company you keep. Well, that's not the way God in Christ looks at us. 
Because the truth is, Jesus wants to be known by the company he keeps. And that's us. How far the Pharisees were from understanding God's grace. How far we sometimes are when we don't understand we stand under that grace too. How hard it is for us to remember that all those people out there are just as lost as we sometimes are. All those people out there that we don't want to touch, we don't want to have anything to do with, they don't look like we do, they don't believe like we do, they act different, they may even believe some different things. Jesus is searching for them too. Part of our task as the church is to work alongside God in the searching for the lost. Jesus tells this parable to those who criticize him for eating with obvious sinners. How often do we go out of our way to eat with those who are obvious sinners? I mean besides our friends. We know their sins. <laughs> but they're acceptable because they're our buddies. God doesn't search until he just gets tired of it and gives up. Nope. It is the nature of a searching God to never give up on you. So if you're feeling a little lost today, God's looking. God's ready to meet you, restore you where you are and to something better than you've known. And that continues when we leave this place. And all those folks we're going to come in contact with who are also lost. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.